Welcome to Season 2 of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Antonio Capasso, alongside fellow co-host Brad Fullerton. Both Brad and I are practicing trainee sport and exercise psychologists and use our experience and knowledge to bring sports psychology and wellbeing concepts to life. But we don't do this alone. We speak to highly specialised guests who also share their personal and professional experiences with wellbeing and sports psychology. On the pod, we encourage listeners interested in all things sport to tune in whilst we provide insight into what working in the world of sport is like. We ask our guests the right questions to provide you with a deep dive into their specialised area of expertise and hope that after listening to each episode, you've taken something away with you. We want to redefine what making it in sport looks like. We hope that by speaking to guests who have made a successful career in sport, we can do just that. Now, let's get into another episode of the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. We hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Unfortunately, I am on my own today. Tony has decided to to patch me, for lack of a better word, for something that's clearly much more important than this podcast. So be sure to grill him uh, over LinkedIn. But fortunately, we've got a guest that's going to provide us with another great episode. We've got George Orchard on. Now, George is a senior community coach at Bromley. And George also played for West Ham between the ages of under-17 up until under-23. Now, I'm not going to give too much away on that front because we'll dive into that a little bit later. First, I just want to say hi to George, mate. So, how are you? How's things? Yeah, no, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I know you were, kind of, you were interested in it over LinkedIn, and I think that your experience and your story by the sounds of the call we had before, is going to be one that our listeners are going to be in, are going to really enjoy. So, appreciate your interest. Yeah, thank you everyone. Appreciate it. Yeah, cool man. Well, we'll just get stuck into it then. We'll let you tell your story a little bit as we do on the Young Player Wellbeing podcast. So, if you could, George, just tell us a bit about your experiences in sport growing up. You know what your sport is, how you got into, it, and the level that you played at. Uh, yeah. So uh, the football. Um, I'm interested in football. Uh, so that's the sport I'm interested in. Uh, I started about the age of four um, and then obviously been growing up ever since as playing football, watching football. Uh, and, um, unfortunately, it's for Chelsea uh, and, um, at the moment not doing very well. Um, but yeah, so uh, I first got into football uh, from my dad. Uh, my dad sort of wanted me to get um, introduce me into a sport. Uh, luckily, it was football. Uh, so I went down to like uh, sessions near me in Greenwich and just played loads of football from there. And obviously, yeah, just, just grew up just playing it, watching it ever since. Yeah, good man. I mean, Chelsea, yikes. Do you think, yeah. they're, on the, do you think they're on the turn, though? They won last night. What do you reckon? Um, honestly, I'm not going to get myself too excited at the moment. Um, uh, I think, uh, obviously, we've won two games in a row now against Brighton and Fulham. So, fingers crossed it's a turnaround. But, uh, yeah, I think this season's sort of a, sort of a, like a project to... Uh, look forward to in the future not this not necessarily the present yeah okay fair enough and I'm gonna give away my my team here I'm not sure if I've done it on the podcast but I'll try not to but my my team who have recently sacked their manager are looking at Frank Lampard 
Uh, what do you think about that? Is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Um, well, I think with Frank Lampard's recent uh, form of management, it's probably not a good idea. Uh, but I feel like that he is very good with youth. So hopefully you could, uh, you could get a bit, a bit more youth into your team. So hope, fingers crossed that, that again, that's, a, that's another project that will be going in the, into the future instead of the present, wasn't it, with that? Yeah, yeah. My initial thoughts were a void, but um, we'll see. We'll see. And uh, George, you mentioned, of course, that your sport is football. You played it at such a young age. Yeah. As did a lot of us. Now, as you sort of started making your way through through the academy, and I'll let you tell that story in a little bit, did you have any sort of experiences with well-being or psychology around about that time, maybe at a similar age to a player, so that sort of 14 to 17, 18 bracket? Uh, yeah, so like um, at that sort of age uh, range, I, I did struggle with my mental health. Uh, like I did sort of struggle, but uh, there was the that I when I was playing, there was no one supporting me through that stage of where I was struggling with my mental health and just struggling like struggling with my like with like physical wise and stuff like that. growing up, obviously going through puberty and stuff like that. So yeah, there was nothing in the industry of football at that time when no one was helping you. But certainly between that age, there was sort of like where I didn't think I was the best. I was struggling with certain things. So, yeah, there was no support, but I did struggle through a lot of things. So hopefully the viewers can learn a few things and hopefully uh, help them with it. OK, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, George. Uh, if you don't mind sharing, what were some of the struggles that you went through? And I suppose the add on to that is what support do you think you could have benefited from at that stage? Uh, yeah, so um, it was sort of where I've gone on trial at a, at, um, at a professional club and my position at the time was a centre midfielder. Um, knew I wasn't going to be the best in the team, but I was certainly the best within that area that I was playing in before I got scouted. Um, and then they chucked me in as a centre-back, so they didn't even listen to me at the start. No, as a liar, they chucked me as a striker, so they didn't even listen to me at the start. So that wasn't great. Um, thing that was a bit odd, I, think I played about 20 games as a striker. I scored zero goals, uh, so I wasn't great. Um, and then they then they decided to sign me, which is a bit a bit odd. Um, and then I played five games, I believe, signed, zero goals scored. Um, and then they brought me in for a meeting with my parents and said that we don't think a striker is a position for George. But it was, and I was thinking I could have told you that 25 games ago. Uh, so then they chucked me in the midfield, uh, performed a lot better. Obviously, that was my natural position. Performed a lot better, uh, scored a few goals, got a few assists. But unfortunately, they, they didn't see me better than the person in that position. Um, and then they chucked me in as a defender because they thought I was big and strong and quick. Uh, so they chucked me in there. So that obviously, that knocked down my confidence from going trying each position. The only position I had left was a goalkeeper. <laughs> so that sort of knocked my confidence a bit. And like obviously like getting favouritism from there and then obviously the age group that I played in at the time was the under 16 sorry under 15s at the time so they were getting pushed up to the under 16s with the scholars and obviously I got I stayed with my own age group for a year younger so it sort of knocked down my confidence like a lot. I mean that's a common thing it seems for academy setups to be trying players in different positions but mm -hmm. context you've put it in was more of a I'd say it sounds like organised chaos to be honest I mean yeah and that coaches often they might play a centre mid at fullback to see how they get on there or they might push a winger up front or a 10 up front to see how they get on there but that all sounds a bit 
chaotic is that sort of the way it was uh yeah it, it, it wasn't very organized but uh, but like now that I see it as a coach I do sort of understand it where you can learn different roles and responsibilities in different positions but like obviously what you try to do is obviously if the player plays centre mid try to play him along that whole centre mid uh lines play him obviously play him on the wing play him at the play him in defense um, defensive midfield play him in camp so stick him in that midfield area but like across the pitch if that makes sense instead yeah. of going from midfield to straight to a striker where it's completely different responsibilities and completely different needs of the game instead of a midfielder you've got certain responsibilities and roles so like yeah that's i'll, I'll say it was quite unorganized in that path where it's not really looking out for your development it was mainly basically if you can put on a shirt and play in that position then you're handy for us basically that's what it seemed like to me okay so i mean the the club that you're referring to was it it was at Charlton, right? And you spent That's, a season yeah. there. So you've already tapped into some of the personal challenges that you face with huh? being played out of position. You had some some struggles with mental health and well-being at that point. Were there other personal challenges that you faced there as well? Uh, yeah, so obviously at the time I was going through school. Uh, so like I was doing my GCSEs, I believe, at the time. So obviously going through trying to make it as a career in football and trying to do my education at the time. It sort of like it was a bit too much together and just got a bit overwhelmed. And obviously, I was willing to quit football. And yeah, so it wasn't a great time for me at that time at Charlton, unfortunately. Okay, so you mentioned there that you were balancing school and football, something that a lot of or almost all of the players that we work with are doing at this point. Yeah. You mentioned you struggled with that. If you're looking back at that now, is there anything that you would have done differently to be able to manage that more effectively? Um, nothing, nothing that I can think of, but I certainly do regret not trying harder in school. Okay. Uh, like in my head, I sort of had that mentality that I've signed a contract. In my head, it's like obviously at the age of 14, 15, that I'm going to make it as a footballer. Like I don't need to worry about school. I'm going to make it. It's going to be fine. Where sort of my attitude changed towards schoolwork. So I wasn't really concentrating on school, which is probably the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Now, yeah, but I um I'll probably say that I'd probably um time like I'll probably timetable my week. Probably I should have done that where like I'll concentrate here, this day just football and then this day schoolwork instead of doing <laughs> pretty much all football across the week or just thinking about football. Yeah, and it's only natural for someone that age to be so driven by football. I mean, I, I certainly myself I never played at the level you did, George, but at that age, I was more interested in playing football than anything else. And we don't have an understanding of dual identity and plan Bs and all that at that age. So sometimes you've just got to realise that, you know, kids are going to be kids and they're going to want to pursue their dreams. And sometimes that's at all costs. But our role is to, or my role as a wellbeing coach is to, to outline that there are other kind of routes there. Yeah. I didn't have that support at, at that age and... I'm assuming you didn't have many other people outside of your parents offering advice like that. Uh, no, not really. So it was literally just my parents. So I, um, I had my granddad, but he doesn't really know nothing about football, really, to be honest. Uh, and I had my younger brother at the time, and obviously he doesn't know what struggles yeah. was stuff like that. So it was mainly just my parents, really. Yeah. I mean, at Charlton, was there any, like, was there a, a welfare officer, a well-being 
designated well-being person? Was there a psychologist? Was there anything like that in place? Um, there, there probably was, but we didn't get introduced to them at all. So, oh. yeah. So obviously, like when I look back at it now, we probably should got introduced to them so we can see who their faces are. So then, if there is an issue, we can go and speak to them. But I, 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 I believe there was one there, but I never knew who that person was or never got introduced into that person when I got signed. So, okay. Yeah, pretty difficult to have access to something like that when you don't even know it's there, right? Yeah. So there's a problem in itself. But yeah, I mean, it's psychologists or wellbeing or any sort of player care, they have a lot of those now. I'm sure managing education and football is something that those people can really help with. So if you are a young player out there and you are struggling to balance school and football, those are some of the people that you might look to turn to. Um, it's good that football has moved in the right direction in that sense. And George, we'll just go back a step. So at age 13, you were at your your boyhood club, which we've just found out today. So um, you, you, you were playing for like a huge club in Chelsea. And at that time as well, things were booming. So was it all as good as what it sounded like playing for Chelsea at that time? Uh, yeah, honestly, I reckon it was the best part of my career playing football. Um, like obviously, like an amazing club, obviously I had a bit of, bit of more passion to try to get in obviously because I supported that team um but uh, they, they treated me unbelievably well um the staff there were they, they, they were amazing especially the person called Fred Ham um I, I'm pretty sure he won't mind me saying his name on this but uh but yeah Fred Ham yeah um he was a scout at Chelsea he helped me out so much he was he, he's currently friends with my parents at the moment so he's kept in touch with us which is very nice uh but yeah no Chelsea I, I absolutely loved it there Okay, brilliant. So shout out Fred. I know you'll be listening to this one, mate. Uh, now that's amazing. I mean, you, you, when we spoke before, am I right in saying that you knocked back a couple of other clubs? And was the reason for knocking back those clubs because of your allegiance to Chelsea? Or was it because of you like to set up? Or was it because of the scout that you mentioned there, Fred? Anything like that? Uh, yeah, so um, obviously because like I've rejected like Tottenham and Arsenal at the time, and there was a few other clubs as well. Um, never want to play for Tottenham, unfortunately. <laughs> so sorry, <laughs> fans. Um, but yeah, so um, it was sort of the way Fred dealt with it. He he sort of like introduced himself. He like sort of it was friendly, and obviously stayed and obviously stayed in touch with my parents when like things were going tough when I was playing for Chelsea at the time on trial. So like he just kept in touch and it like it was very nice to make me feel very welcome. Even though I wasn't signed, I felt even like I was part of the team, so which was nice. Yeah, I mean it shows how much he'd done for you that you're still in contact with yeah. him at that point. One thing that we always encourage to our players is utilize the relationships that you have at the clubs the now because you never know when that's gonna be taken away from you and you don't realise almost what a privileged position that you're in. Because yeah. most most kids out there don't have access to an elite coach, an elite scout, elite managers, etc. So so use that, and it's great to hear that you've stayed connected with mm -hmm. uh, Fred after all this time. And how, in what ways has he supported you then since, like you left? I mean, you didn't get signed for Chelsea. So how did he help you moving forward out of that? Uh, yeah. So I remember that. Uh... When he found out that I that I wasn't going to sign for Chelsea, he literally called the next day and said, "Is there any way that I can help you get into another club?" Uh, he said, "Because I really like you as a player, I really like you as a person, I really like your family. Is there any way that I can get you in another club or any way I can help 
and like um basically he's like saying like um can I put in a good word for you somewhere uh so like he helped me get in try to help me get into another club and then that's where he got uh he spoke to someone at Cholton and that's the comes I got into there so it was all down to him. that's why I got into where I was okay brilliant unfortunately Cholton wasn't as as great as you might have hoped and sorry to hear that but it's great to hear that you were allowed that opportunity through a connection and after that then I suppose Fred's still helping us out here because after Charlton you played for Gillingham so what's different at Gillingham then and could you tell our listeners how this opportunity unfortunately came to an end uh yeah so um I I I left Charlton um obviously because my experience there uh and then obviously I was thinking of quitting football uh, and then literally my parents got a phone call two weeks after getting released and uh, Gillingham um, offered me a trial to um, um, to play for their team. I think it was under 16s at the time, so for their scholarship teams. And then obviously because I got signed so close um, towards the scholarship uh, um, scholarship stage, I thought I was, gonna, I was gonna, uh, guaranteed going to um, get one. Uh, and then I was playing there for a season and unfortunately the owner come out in the press and said that he would prefer to buy a player from a different league or abroad because it's cheaper instead of bringing someone up from the academy. So he scrapped the whole academy system from under 16s below. So unfortunately he didn't get offered a scholar there. That is just absolutely wild. I'll come back to the scholarship bit in a minute, but you're... So he came out in the press and said mm-hmm. that he doesn't see the point in the academy because you can get foreign players for cheaper. So he decides to completely scrap the academy. Yeah. And how did you find out about that? Like, did you like was it in the news the next day, or did like the the owner filter that news down the academy staff? Uh, or? So basically, the first time I heard it was actually on Twitter. So it was on my phone. Uh, so basically, um, like I follow all the um, all the fan pages of the teams that I played for to find that information and stuff like that. And um, I found out on Twitter that he said this in an article. Then I read it and I was I was a bit surprised. And then obviously, uh, then I went to one of the first team games, and then obviously all the fans were just speaking about it at that game. I can't remember what game it was now, but yeah. So like, I've, I've, I first of all found out on Twitter. Jeez, and how did that? knock you like in terms of confidence belief and it's completely thrown you off especially it's a crucial age that you were at as well yeah so it's like um obviously at the time like like, i I generally thought i was going to make it into the squad stage and hopefully push on for first team uh and then obviously when i read that it was sort of like that sort of that sort of like knocked my confidence a lot and sort of chucked my dreams in the bin basically uh, which which was another knock, obviously, after what happened, like, the last season with Cholton, it was sort of like, I need to do, like, a Jamie Vardy story, where I need to go from non-league to try to get into the professional game. Um, yeah, so, it was, like, it did knock my confidence a lot. Yeah, OK. Yeah, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll speak about what happened next very shortly, um, but the scholarship, so, could you just explain that to our listeners? Because in Scotland, it's slightly different. Okay, uh, yeah, so basically, uh, when you go from under 16, so it should be about 15, 16 years of age, uh, and then basically the professional team will offer you a scholarship where you will play full-time football for two years uh, in the youth system, so it'll be from under 17s to under 19s or under 23s. Uh, 
Uh, so basically, you can get offered different contracts. You can get offered one-year scholar, so you only play one year of full-time football. You can get a two-year scholar where it's two years of playing football full-time. But you can, uh, if you're lucky enough, you can get a two-year scholar and a one-year pro. So you do basically three years of full-time football. But at, uh, last year, you might go out on loan to a professional club and play some first-team football out there. Uh, yeah, so that's how the scholarship works. And also, you do your education, so your college alongside the full-time football as well. Okay, and the college, do you get to choose whatever you want to study? Um, yeah, so you can do a BTEC uh, diploma um, or you could do a personal trainer, um, but then they also, you can do your uh, coaching uh, badges with that as well. Okay, nice. No, thanks for clearing that up, George. Uh, unfortunately, you weren't offered one of those and so you've experienced a few setbacks at this point and I know it's all sounding a bit doom and gloom but we'll we'll get there so Charlton not too great Gillingham ended very very abruptly mm-hmm. in transition which was almost out of the blue so how did you transition into your next challenge which was at West Ham yeah uh, so obviously after the uh, after the scholarship decision from the owner uh, it was it was quite difficult, and I was thinking of just giving up football. I thought I've, like, I've tried my best. It hasn't it hasn't worked out. Let's try to do something new. And then, luckily, my parents had a conversation with me, uh, and they were like that I should give up when there's no other resources and no other ways that I can get into the industry of like playing professional football. So, like we had a like, we had a conversation. I'm so thankful that they spoke to me about that because otherwise, I would have gave, like given up. And luckily, I knew someone that uh, used to work at Mirwall at the time. Um, he's, his name's Harry Watlin. He used to work uh, recently. Just got the sack at uh, Rangers. Uh, he was their assistant manager. Uh, so, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So um, he, he used to work at Mirwall, and then he just signed for West Ham. Admittedly, not uh, that's that's not great rivalry there. Um, <laughs> and then basically, uh, we contacted him and said, like, see if I can get a trial. Uh, come back to us saying it's going to be quite difficult for him because of the age groups. Obviously, I've got to try to fight for first team places. Yeah, so it's going to be quite difficult to get me in. Uh, luckily, you did. Um, and then I was on trial for six weeks at West Ham and I got signed there and I was there for three and a half, four years. OK, brilliant. So I was starting to get some some light here. There's, uh, mm. It's not so dim and gloom, which is good. <laughs> so just talk to us about over those four years. What were some of the major successes that you had there? Because West Ham's a massive club. I know it's not quite... Um, your beloved Chelsea and all that, but tell us about some of the the great moments you had there. Uh, yeah, so um, I was I was captain for three for uh, three or four of the seasons there that I was there, so that was that, that was a real honour to be captain. Um, we've played loads of clubs, obviously like Chelsea, Tottenham. We've beaten like really big teams. Uh, yeah, there was like the, the, obviously the training ground recently just got built up when I was there. Uh, yes, yeah, so a lot of things going through, and obviously a lot of memories made that that, that was brilliant. Okay, quality. So, captain the team, had some success from under seventeen up to twenty threes, huh. but unfortunately there was another setback that came along at under twenty three. So, could you tell our listeners about what happened that led you to ultimately retiring from playing football? Yeah, so it was the start of pre-season I believe um, where we was playing a game and I've intercepted the football 
and their strikers, because I played centre-back at the time for West Ham, uh, I've intercepted the football, the strikers tried to come in for a slide tackle, I've jumped over him and my knee's completely gone and unfortunately I've done that ACL. Am I right? did, did you know that that had, was something serious that had happened straight away? Yeah, literally when I landed, it's, it's, like, it's, it's probably going to sound disgusting, but when I, when I landed, you heard the crack, you heard the crunch noise and I knew that I'd done something pretty bad straight away. And I was like, it was the loudest scream I've already ever done as well. Okay, okay. So, of course, we find that the players that we work with as wellbeing coaches tend to open up more when they've experienced difficult moments, whether that's injury or perhaps it's deselection. So, was there anyone at the club at that time that you had access to that could help you to successfully navigate that? No, not at all. Um, so literally, I I can't remember what day I've done it now. I think I've done it on a Saturday. And then the next day, yeah, I literally got a video footage uh, from my manager, uh, about a 20-minute 20, a 20 video uh, of my performance. I only played 20 minutes. And then it showed me of getting injured. And then... An email was part of it saying we've heard about your injury. Uh, uh, um, hopefully, get a speedy recovery, and then that was it. That's the last time I heard from him. So, you got the video, you got the email, and that was the last time you heard from him. But I didn't hear you mention anything about a form to say you've been released or anything no. like that. Oh, so yeah. So literally, uh, the only thing they said to me was that um, that basically they'll fast forward me through the NHS. Okay. Did they help you with that at least? Uh, they did, um, but not not a lot. I, I, it was my parents working really hard to get me with that. Okay, so George, this is something pretty devastating for you know a, a guy that was on the precipice probably of reaching his dream that you've worked so hard to get to. How did you actually deal with that then? I mean, that must have been a, a tough time mentally, physically, of course. How did you deal with it? Uh, yeah, so, like, my mind actually changed within the first month. So when it happened, the next day I was motivated and I was going to, like, I'm going to show you guys that I'm good enough to come back. So, like, like, I was ready to come back, like, bigger, stronger, that I was ready to, like, absolutely smash it when I come back. And then it got to a point like where like it was a month and my knee was still in agony and I was working really, really hard to come back. And my knee was still in agony and it was like, okay, it might take a little bit longer than what I need. And then it hit like, a certain point where it was like, I might just give up. And unfortunately, that's what I did end up doing. But then obviously I'm in the role that I am now. But yeah, mm -hmm. the first month it was like, I'm so determined to come back and show you guys that you should have kept me and should have been patient. Yeah. And yeah, I think the the journey from recovering from serious injury is a long one and it's also a lonely one. Yeah. Players often find that they are isolated. They're probably experiencing ups and downs with motivation. I mean, at the start, like you say, you're all for it. But I think players sometimes don't realise that when an injury like that is so serious, there's other setbacks that happen along the way. Like That's why managers don't like giving timelines. That's why it's four to six weeks or it's he's going to be out for a few games. There's never anything specific. And Yeah, and then the thing is as well, is that it's quite similar to other people probably, is that like obviously 
football was literally the only thing in my life that I cared about. Mm. So taking that away is like, what else can I do? Yeah. It's it's pretty much similar to anyone that's had a serious injury or or, or injured at all. It's pretty much like, yeah, your football's your whole life and it's just completely taken out of your hands just by a silly tackle from someone. And then you've just got to sit on the sofa and hope you recover. (laughs) You mentioned that you were really motivated to come back. Yeah. Where, I mean, what were you doing that was helping you to come back? Just for, I know a few people who have done ACL, but I don't know any who have done it at the level you were playing at. So, I mean, do do they still, does anyone give you support, like, professionally? Like, did you have a strength and conditioning guy, physio guy, or was it all just down to you to get back from that? Uh, So, I went to physio at the local NHS hospital from me. Uh, once a week and they pretty much gave me exercises to do every day until the next time I see them and then they test me and then they'll try to increase or decrease the exercises that they give me for me to come back. Okay so at what point did you go what point did you decide that it's going to be a bit too tough for you to come back and and you decided against that? Uh, I think it was my fifth or sixth appointment with them and they gave me exercises, and I remember that I tried it for a week, and my knee was in bits afterwards. Like, it was in so much pain, I'm thinking, okay, I might need to, because that, like, that was the first time my sessions got decreased in exercise, on working harder, so it was like, that sort of knocked my confidence about coming back. Okay. And, I mean, that couldn't have been a straightforward decision to make. So, talk us through that a little bit. I mean, is that the point where you start thinking about other plans and think about where your life might go instead or yeah because um because basically like yeah um, as i said it was like the fifth or sixth week of in physio uh each week i was progressing into harder sessions to work on my knee and it was about that fifth or sixth week where they had to decrease the sessions because i'd done a test and my knee wasn't as strong as i hope it would have been so that's sort of obviously not my confidence and obviously i had to try exercises that were a bit too easy for my legs it's like where's the balance where it can be easy and hard mm. Um, but then luckily at the time I was at West Ham I did my coaching badges my level one and level two uh, so obviously at that time when I was injured I was um, researching how to become a coach and I was like looking at sessions that I've done whilst I was at Charlton, Gillingham, Chelsea, West Ham to see if I can use them in the coaching industry for younger kids. Okay brilliant so at least there's a sort of early seed planted there at West Ham that you were able to use and we'll go on to that just now. Thanks for telling us everything there about your injury. I know that must have been a kind of traumatic time at the time. So we appreciate the insight there, mate. And for any players that are going through anything similar, anybody that I'm I'm working with or Tony or anyone else out there, then you know, feel free to get in touch if return to to play is something that you've been struggling with. There are plenty of mental skills, there are plenty of forms of support that can help you to get you through that from a mental or psychological perspective as well as all the physical and rehab stuff that you'll be doing uh, as well but moving on George so you mentioned there we've touched on it already about your coaching so why did you decide to pursue a career in coaching and how did that come about was did you know that that was what you maybe would want to do from the West Ham days uh, no, so like um, it was sort of like what you said earlier about the plan B's. So the plan A obviously was to play football. The plan B was obviously trying to do coaching, and that's what my parents 
like was basically saying that I should try to do the try to get another backup plan just in case football doesn't work out. Uh, so I never really knew or known coaching was going to be the next sort of career I was going to take. Um, so basically, um, I emailed um, Cholton, uh, sorry, I emailed uh, Romney, sorry, at the time, uh, seeing they were looking for any coaches because it's literally about half an hour, 20 minutes away from me, so quite local. Uh, and then they replied back and then I was working as like a casual coach uh, from there. And then luckily in last year, September, got offered full-time and obviously been full-time ever since as a senior community coach, as you said. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant, mate. Um, just want to tie that back to your, your playing career. I mean, what skills, I mean, we, just for context, George, we talk about transferable skills a lot to our players you know, the skills that you pick up from football are going to help you out in other areas of your life. If you were to reflect back on your football career, could you pick out some skills that you think that you've developed from that that have helped you in your career as a coach? Uh, yeah, so um, 100% obviously coaching little kids, you've got to be patient. Mm. You've got to be patient because it, it, like, I, I do understand certain people when they get frustrated when certain kids are not doing what they've been asked to do or they're not getting the right information that you've been giving them. Uh, so definitely patience that I've definitely learned from other coaches that I've had in the past. Um, and obviously the, the, the older age groups that I coach, it'll probably be the, uh, the detailed coaching that I give them. So obviously with the little kids where like you won't give as much technical detail as possible, but with the older lot you try to go, well, can where if you pass it with this part of the foot, how, like what, uh, what would the weight of pass be? Or if you're like if you're coaching the younger lot, if you go, what part of the foot can we pass it with? Mm. So there's examples how to coach different age groups. So I definitely learned that uh, at my time playing like uh, playing football, and then obviously I learned from the sessions that I got coached. So I then that I've implemented into coaching myself, which has helped. Yeah, so you've picked up some knowledge from the actual drills, which have helped, but also the key skills there you mentioned are patience and you mentioned detail, but it's probably almost like the ability to adapt as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, within your role, it's pretty flexible, right? I mean, maybe we can touch on that now. You've you, you mentioned you've been at Bromley for nearly three years. So, yeah, tell us more about your role as a senior community coach and what about it do you enjoy most? What gives you fulfilment in that role? Uh, yeah, so obviously my role here is uh, to design session plans uh, in the office for coaches to use. Uh, at our after school clubs, our sessions at the club and um, other sessions that we've got off-site and at the club as well that we provide. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I coach um, and also I travel to the schools and I coach them myself as well. Um, and then obviously like the main thing that I love about what I do is I love giving back to the children that basically I hope that one day off, like hopefully do a better career than what I did. So like basically I'm giving back what I've learned to them, and fingers crossed, they go on make first team football. Hopefully for Bromley, or hopefully for Chelsea one day. Uh, but yeah, so fingers crossed, they go on the better career that I did, and I just love to see their progression. So that's that's what I love about my job. Yeah, I mean, I've worked in sort of community sport before, and the best thing about it for me was seeing the the smiles on agreed, sort of yeah, kids' faces. Like we used to like pick them up from school, take them over to the you know the stadium give them a tour and it's like it could be the best moment like of their like year like yeah. so um so it's great to hear that you're making a positive uh, impact there mate 
Um, and I just wanted to touch on, so you, you're thinking about giving back and maybe even seeing yourself in some of these young kids. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like regrets in terms of the way that your young career, your career as a young player, mapped out? Um, I wouldn't say so because obviously, as people will say that like things happen for a reason. So maybe playing professional football wasn't for me. Maybe being a professional coach probably was. So obviously, things map out on how they do. Um, I don't regret my career as a younger child and obviously growing up in football at all. I don't, I don't regret it at all. Um, obviously, I've got to thank my parents for what they've done. They like they really support me and obviously all the coaches that I had. Um, so no, I, I don't regret it at all. And obviously, because what I learned from that is helping with the role I'm doing today and hopefully in the future. Yeah, I think that's generally the answer to that question that you get. And it's important for any young players to to realise that you keep working hard and you will be successful. It might not be the success that you are dreaming of right now, but it's important to understand that there are other ways of being successful yeah. and working in the fields of sport or even football. Like yourself, George, you've got success from coaching. I've had success from being a wellbeing coach or a sports psychologist, something that I'm passionate about. And there will be something that players will find that are similar to us, we'd hope. And I'm sure there'll be a good addition to, to the world of sport, whatever that may look like. So your your coaching, George, I mean, you've been at Bromley for three years, but you're also a UEFA C licensed coach. So did that yeah. process start before Bromley? I mean, just tell us a bit about that journey, if you could. Uh, yeah, so I got my um, FA Level 1, it was called at the time, uh, when I was 16, so when you could get it. Um, and then I got my FA Level 2, which is now UEFA C, as you said, um, literally just before COVID started. So I remember that I'd done my last day in the classroom for my um, um, FA Level 2, and then literally two weeks later, it was going into lockdown. Okay. Uh, so obviously then I've got my qualifications, obviously not playing football at the time uh, because I could have. And then obviously not coaching, obviously, because I was in the industry of playing football. Um, so, yeah, so, um, yeah, so obviously I've I, I done my qualifications quite young. And then obviously my next step is hopefully get my UEFA B. OK, so UEFA B, is that a, a long process that you need to go through? Is it a tough one? Could you tell us about, about that? Uh, yeah, so um, I know the course is uh, nine to twelve months. That is the that is the duration of the course, and currently there's a huge wait in this. Obviously, because of COVID, there's like a backlog. Uh, so yeah, there's a huge wait in this, and obviously all their um, all the uh, level twos, um, UEFA Cs, obviously want to get onto the course. So there, yeah, there is a, it is quite difficult to get on at the moment. Okay, and is that something Bromley will put you through because it will benefit them as well? Um, yeah, so um, I've uh, I've spoken obviously to the CEO at the club uh, to see if they can help me get onto my uh, my way for B, and he did say that he was going to have a con- um, conversation with the Kent FA and the London FA to see what they can do. Yeah, I love it. And um, you know, you so you talked about designing the session plans, and yeah. you also do a coaching at schools and stuff yourself. Uh, is there ambition then with the UEFA badges to go beyond and start go- coaching into the men's game as well? 
Uh, yeah, so um, like, yeah, my aim is to try to uh, try to coach inside the professional men's game, if I can. Um, so I've tried to speak to the goalkeeper coach that I know very well here, and basically they've offered me opportunities to uh, analyse and watch Bromley men's first team sessions that are currently in the national league. So hopefully I get things off of there. But yeah, my aim is to try to get into the professional men's game if I can. Yeah. Brilliant, man. That sounds like you're on the right trajectory and hopefully that backlog from COVID can, you know, whittle down a little bit and you can yeah. Um, Yeah, well, we've talked through your journey now, George. I mean, we've went from from grassroots to Chelsea, Charlton, uh, Gillingham, West Ham and then up to Bromley. I suppose it ties us round to our last couple of staple questions that we have on the podcast. So what are your top three tips for looking after your own well-being? And to provide context, what do you do when you're feeling down or feeling low? Is, is there things that help you, or help you to increase your well-being? Uh, yeah, so the thing that I'd probably say is don't put too much pressure on yourself. Uh, on yourself. That's probably one. Like, I don't understand a lot of athletes like at younger ages or the same age as me uh, do put a lot of pressure on themselves, which is completely understandable. So you're trying to make a career in football. So I'd say just take every day as it comes, keep on learning, keep on trying to do the right things and fingers crossed you get to the right place where you want to be. And obviously if things don't, then try to look at backup plans like at like A, B and C's. It could be coaching, it could be a physio, it could be uh, anything else. It, it, it might not even have to be within football. But uh, obviously, if you, yeah, I would say don't put too much pressure on yourself. I'd say try to structure, uh, structure out your day where if you are in a full-time uh, football industry, try to go from I'm going to focus on football on this day, then this day I'm going to focus on myself and just have a rest day, and this day I'm going to chill out with my mates maybe, and then this day I'm going to chill out with my parents. So try to like try to organise your week and your days so then you don't put too much pressure on yourself. As I said, it's just linking to that basically. And then try to build a network uh, around you to support you so if things are going difficult then you can go to your parents or you can go to your friends or you can go to other family members that you've got so I'd say build, uh, build up a very strong um, connection with people that could maybe support you if things do go tough. Yeah bro man I really appreciate that so it's all to do with not putting too much pressure on yourself and to do that you might look to implicate some sort of structure something yeah. that referenced earlier in the podcast that maybe you could have done a little bit better so that's that's good and uh building a network that's that's i think that's key i think that's something that comes up in almost every response and just just to get a bit more on that george who's part of your network that you might look to for support when your well-being is low uh so obviously at the time when i was playing it was literally my parents um yeah, like as I said earlier, that obviously I couldn't really go to my younger brother because he was too young to understand what I was going through. Yeah, and my granddad didn't really understand football, so it was quite difficult to go to him where he didn't really know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Where I'm now, like which I've got, like um, like I've got my uni mates that I can speak to if, if I'm struggling. I've also still got my parents, my older, uh, I've got my younger brother, obviously who's growing up now, so he understands a bit more now. And obviously, I've got uh, I've got other friends at like obviously outside of work and uni that I can speak to as well. So I've got like more of connection based. Yeah, yeah, bro, man, that's good. It's good that you've got people around you to support you through times when they get a bit tough. And um, it's also just good to hear that you've 
bounced back successfully from some setbacks that you've had along the way. We talk about resilience a lot, you know, the way that you respond to challenges and setbacks. And to me, it sounds like you have, you've been pretty solid at that, mate. So, so fair play. And um, just lastly, you've, you've offered a lot. I mean, you've offered even some in your last answer there, but maybe we'll frame it differently then. So if you had any advice for yourself as a young academy player, let's think about the players that are in an academy set up now at that under 16, 15 level. Would you have any advice for them outside of what you've already offered? Um, yeah, so I would say um, enjoy your time that you've got. Um, like, uh, like I said, fingers crossed you do make it into whatever league you're in. Like, like if you're in the Premier League, trying to hopefully you make it into into the first team there. But um, I'd say definitely take the opportunities that you've got. Um, obviously, because like like unfortunately, football's not a long career. Um, so things might only happen once. So take that so take that for granted. I reckon. Um, and then, yeah, just, just, just try to enjoy the industry you're in, because obviously you got like you got little kids that dream to be in the, in the like in the place you're in at the moment. So I'd say enjoy every single moment of it. Uh, and again, don't too much, uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Otherwise, if you do, then you'd overthink things, and then your performances may may decrease from that. So that's that's what I'd probably say. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, thanks for that. And it's like you say, too much pressure on yourself leads to negative performances it's yeah. almost the key of the program that i work on it's about teaching people how well-being can influence performance so don't do too much it's gonna put your own performance down uh, through low well-being so yeah i love that tied back to the work that i'm doing as well don't put too much pressure on yourself enjoy it you know be present and realize that you are in a unique position that many others want to be in a solid advice, mate. And moving forward, George, I mean, what have you got coming up, mate? What's next? Where are we going to see you? What, what's coming up? Uh, so fingers crossed. Uh, give it like give it a good ten years, I'd say. But fingers crossed, I'll be sitting in Pochettino's seat. Um, but uh, but yeah, so like obviously my aim again is try to go step by step. Go obviously uh, get my UEFA B. Uh, try to push into academy football. Um, hopefully, again, try to teach people that were in my position a few years ago. Try to teach someone how what it's like, and try to give them advice and go. There is Plan Bs that you can go to. So hopefully, like if they if they do get released, hopefully they don't. But if they do, then they have got backup plans, and mm. like hopefully it would like their life is already organised before bad things even happen. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that, no, that's important. I think everyone needs a mentor and we're getting to a stage in football where that those types of things are more common, certainly, than what they were when you were uh, playing academy football by the sounds of it, George. Uh, so, yeah, uh, looking forward to seeing seeing you out there, mate. Um, it's been great chatting and you've provided some amazing insight to your career, particularly around your how you dealt with the injury. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing everything that you have today. Um, yeah, and, and and just really thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. So I hope our listeners enjoyed uh, what has been another enjoyable episode for myself. Tony, you've got a lot of catching up to do when you come back on. But if you have made it to this stage, please be sure 
to give us feedback on um, Spotify. You can turn notifications on there as well. Um, and if you're comfortable, George, I might leave your LinkedIn profile in the bio for our listeners. Is that okay if they want to? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Perfect. So George's details will be on there as well. So just give that a click or get in contact to find out more. Thanks for listening. Uh, cheers for coming on again, George. Thank you.